I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align podcast. Rituals of initiation of young men in some of the very simple societies are extremely interesting. The boys are brought up to be in fear of the masks that the men wear in their rituals. These are the gods. These are the personifications of the powers that structure the society. The boy, when he gets to be more than his mother can handle, the men come in with their masks, or whatever their costume is, and they grab the kid, and he thinks he's been taken by the gods, taken out into the men's ground, and he's beaten up and everything else. But then there, in New Guinea, there's a wonderful, wonderful event where this poor kid has to stand up and fight a man with a mask. I'd say he's fighting the god. The man lets the kid win, takes the mask off, puts it on the kid. Now, the mask is not there defeated and simply said, oh, this is just myth. He said, the mask represents the power that is shaping the society and has shaped you, and now you are a representative of that power. That's a big story. Welcome back to the Line Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. In today's fantastic episode, I got to have my man, Dr. Stuart McGill, on the show. Uh, Dr. McGill is the, I'm pretty sure he's the reigning champ as far as um, world-leading spinal biomechanic experts go. I, th- I think that he is he is the man um, as far as that world is concerned. And we get to have him on for the number, numero dos, tiempo. So really, really fun conversation. Um, the <coughs> recordings from previous um, was uh, Mr. Joseph Campbell, a great mythologist, th- here with Thousand Faces, uh, Reflections of Art of Living, highly recommend anything that he puts out, really good stuff, and um, I'll include the YouTube video link for that whole video so you can learn about rites of passage with the boys and such. Um, and then that was me banging away on my mijimbe. M- um, in this conversation, we got into the art and science around um, stability, support, flexibility, the balance between all those those components with our spinal mechanics. Um, we got into how to maximize the amount of power that we produce with our spine. Um, we got into so much more. A really phenomenal conversation. Hope you guys enjoy. Well, I'm so glad you brought that up. A brace is a tuned stiffness commensurate with the demand of the task. And of course, thank you so much for tuning into the website, aligntherapy.com. That's A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, you will find hundreds of videos on self-care and functional movement. You will find the self-care kit, and uh, you'll find 10% off on any of your shroom purchases from Four Sigmatic. Four Sigmatic is a radical company. We had their founder, Taro, on last week, and uh, it's by far my favorite coffee slash tea blend that I've, I've found out there infused with uh, various different mushroom blends. So everything from cordyceps to lion's mane to reishi to all the ones, all the ones that, that are worth taking. And uh, they're all powdered up in between various tea blends and coffee blends. I use them before. I use drink them every, every morning for breakfast, before exercise, before <laughs> I pretty much uh, use them all the time. Um, so thank you so much for checking them out at foursigmatic.com slash align. That's F-O-U-R, Sigmatic, S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C, dot com slash align. And you will receive 10% off on any purchase. If you guys have not tried um, Cordyceps before doing any type of like physical movement or reishi or reishi, however you pronounce that, 
um, really helpful with down regulation of the nervous system, relaxing you and such. Highly recommend checking that out. People like Tim Ferriss have been getting down on the stuff. Uh, Sean Stevenson, uh, we've also had on the show. So, um, yeah, really good stuff. A lot of good people getting into it and can't recommend it enough. Forsigmatic.com slash align. Um, I have some quotes. I am pulling them up from my... I use Kindle Highlights, which is nice. You can go online and um, highlight various different chapters and such if you use a Kindle. And then from there, something I do that might be valuable to some people is I use a program called Evernote, which is like a little note-taking thing. And then uh, I'm not affiliated with them or anything like that. And uh, I will create notebooks with the books that I read. And then I will pull the highlights from my Kindle Highlights thing that you can pull up on Amazon and then pull them into the notebooks and that way I can review past books. I think it's interesting when we just like read books and then finalize them and finish them and it's like gone and we read the book but we don't really necessarily remember anything. It's nice to be able to go back to it. Anywho, um, this, the highlights we have today. Uh, first up is from Sun Tzu from The Art of War and he mentions in there, the wise man wins before fighting whereas the ignorant needs to fight in order to win. Wise man wins before fighting, whereas the ignorant needs to fight in order to win. I think that is quite relevant with um, our movement. So you could talk about uh, the fight being the surgery, or the fight being I have pain and I need to, you know, all of a sudden see a doctor or a physio or a chiro or something like that to sort my pain out. Um, if we can get a little bit more wise with our movement and start paying attention, bringing more consciousness and awareness into how we bend over to pick our keys up off the ground, how we pick our child up off the ground, how we walk in general. What does it mean to walk effectively? What does it mean to stand effectively? What does it mean to sit and hinge your hips? We get on that with uh, Dr. McGill today, so hopefully you guys appreciate that. And then we got one more quote. Uh, this one is from Mr. Morhei Yushiba, who he's the fellow that I also reference quite a bit. He says, uh, line I really like that he says is, is make your everyday stance your battle stance, but one of the things that he mentions in the same vein is uh, solving problems before they form is the way of the warrior. Solving problems before they form is the way of the warrior. Um, squashing, destroying the little monsters before they become big, deleterious monsters. And figuring how we can do that again from our movement practice. Also look at that from just general organization around our house around our business, around our relationships. Is there any small, lurking, cute monster that is... Uh that's that's wandering around our world that we can just squash while it's just a baby and uh, I think that's a really important point thank you so much for utilizing the Amazon affiliate link on the website uh, on the right hand sidebar of the blog and podcast page that is a huge part of supporting this podcast if you guys care what we're doing and you want to support in a way that will cost you absolutely nothing por favor bookmark that uh, link the Amazon affiliate link there and then every time you use Amazon to buy any crap uh, buy your crap through that bookmarked link that you did from aligntherapy.com. And then we get like 7% of that. So uh, thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for reviews on the iTunes. That is greatly appreciated. If you support the show, um, let us hear it. It's it's uh, awesome, awesome to see what people are thinking. And then uh, last but not least, I'm still accepting folks into the pilot program for the Align Movement Academy. It's going to be a 10-week program, and we are going to break down A to Z, how to integrate functional movement into every aspect of our bodies, breaking down what the mechanics of the ankle joint relation to the knee and the pelvis and the spine and such are um, self-care practices around those and then uh, really focusing on the integration bringing all those parts back together so getting back into what Sun Tzu and Morihei Yushiba and such talks about um, in relation to squashing these little monsters before they become big gnarly monsters so uh, that's what we'll be doing to be every other day receiving a video breaking down how to uh, whatever it may be mobilize your ankles open up your hip hinge or maybe and and then uh, slowly progressing into putting all the parts back together. And then also doing discussion forums. It will be half the price. And we, you can contact us at info at aligntherapy.com. That's info at aligntherapy.com. I hope you guys are having an absolutely beautiful day. It is sunny and wonderful here in uh, Santa Monica. And about to go to the beach right after this is wrapped up. So thanks for tuning in. Dr. Stuart McGill. Here we go. 
Online Podcast. This is my backyard. We have, I'm standing in, in soil right now, actually. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Yeah, it's better that way. Um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm recording right now, so I don't, I don't do like the, like, uh, you know, traditional intro, all that stuff. So I just start the podcast whenever it makes sense to start for the, for the actual interview thing. But I'd be curious. Okay, well, let's start now. We're starting right now. So I think one of the potential questionable movements that people have in a gym that you'll see is it's fairly ubiquitous anytime you see people doing squats especially deeper squats is the uh, the butt wink right where the the pelvis comes posteriorly as you get lower down into that motion do you have any i'm sure you do what's your opinion around around that and could you potentially break that down a little bit what 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 that is well, you know, I keep getting asked that question. I wish you guys would get past it and move on because the answer is once again, it depends. Yeah. And it depends if there are some people uh, who uh, recommend on the internet that everybody should squat deep. Everybody should be asked to grass and all this kind of thing. And I think that disrespects personal anatomy. There are some people who have deeper hip sockets and they, uh, uh, may get hip impingement to the point of pain. If not, at least the femur collides with the anterior capsule of the hip or the labrum. And once they hit that collision angle, they aren't at a deep squat yet. So now the only motion they have left, the, the, the hips are tapped out in full flexion, the, the remaining flexion goes into the spine. Well, again, some people will argue with me and say that that's, that's okay. Well, here's the the what what our science on all of this has shown that uh, some people will get away with it and others it will lead to a breakdown of the collagen uh, in the posterior part of the disc and they'll end up with a disc bulge so how come some people are resilient and others not well there's many different factors but I could give you two or three the first one is the size of their spine and their disc so you can imagine having a thin willow branch you can bend that thin willow branch back and forth and it doesn't create any stress it gets by fine if you take a thicker branch and bend it to the same level it creates much more stress because of its thickness and it breaks at a much lower bending angle so what you will find um, believe it or not that bigger thicker spines actually are less resilient to bending under heavy load um, so if you have that kind of spine my recommendation would be to why are you squatting deep uh, you better answer that question first and uh, you may be a better athlete and have a longer career if you don't go to the point where you're under heavy load and bend your spine the next uh, anatomical feature is whether the disc, if you look at the disc from the top view down, whether it's an ovoid shape or whether it's a limacon shape, shaped like a lima bean. The bigger and thicker your bony structure, the more you will have a limacon shape in your disc. And the limacon forces the stress to posterior lateral left or right on repeated bending. And you will find those shapes of disc while they can take much more compressive load, they will actually delaminate the collagen sooner when you go into a heavy butt wink under, under load. So there's two more issues. Um, and, and of course, it depends on the, the standard of load, repetition, frequency, time off, etc 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 so you know these people who argue whether it's a good thing or bad thing as if it's a black and white issue i don't think understand the full issues so there's a start on the argument but if an individual came and asked me that question i would say well here are the things you need to know to make that decision 
let me test your hips for anatomy and whether there are any existing pain sensitivities. Then we're going to look at your back and, and provocatively test that to see if there are any uh, pain triggers. Then tell me what your exercise goals are and we'll decide whether deep squat is the best way to achieve those goals in a most resilient, uh, sensible way. So there's the answer. Yeah. 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 The, the thing that gets me with watching people, you know, like the butt wink or butt wink, you know, no butt wink is we're kind of most people from like a sitting position are in a perpetual butt wink position, you know, and we're, we're continually put pressurizing the, the, the discs and potentially delaminating the nucleus. And what I've heard, um, you know, mentioned by you actually is we don't actually have sensation of that delamination process. It's we don't feel it until until it goes. Is that is that accurate? Am I talking out my butt? Well, yes and no. Um, here's what our science shows on sitting. If a person has never had trauma to their back, being excessive load, excessive repetition, let's say we take a couch potato who's never done heavy work in their lives. Many of them sit without any issue whatsoever. They sit terribly. Uh, they never get back pain sitting. And this is what we've found. We will call that the virgin spine. We've never been able to detect any damage to a spine from just sitting. So let's take a different uh, example now. Let's take a patient, or not a patient, but uh, let's take an office worker who sits for eight hours a day at the computer and that causes back discomfort. Well, there could be many reasons for that, but if they have an open fissure to the disc, so if I were to show you here of an example of what an open fissure is, I'm going to flex, and can you see the disc bulge coming out of the, the laminated collagen posteriorly. Notice I have to flex the spine to get that, but if I direct the thrust line straight down without flexing, the whole disc flattens, but the, there isn't a focal uh, disc bulge. So it's a pure hydraulic um, uh, entity or effect on the nuclear gel inside that changing wedge shape. Well, if that person we're going back to our office worker example, then goes to the gym for an hour at night. And let's say they do uh, exercises like they will do work on a rowing machine and they will really soften the collagen of their discs with repeated motion. Right. That in of itself may not be a bad thing, but then they do 10 burpees and then another 10 burpees. So now they're really loosening the collagen. Then they do 10 Olympic lifts for reps off the floor and they're breaks and now they've got it there's their spine under heavy load with repeated bending so do you see how they set up their spine to delaminate the collagen yeah. the collagen of the of the discs they're not ball and socket joints they are collagenous fibers sucked together with a ground substance they will adapt to the chronic loading so when you sit all day it's not a repeated bending stress on the ground substance that holds the fibers together. So the fibers stay stuck together relatively. But repeated bending over and over softens the ground matrix between the fibers. So that now you've got a mobile spine, but you've lost the ability to be really tough under high pressure. So the high pressure nucleus works its way between the fibers. So you see, you can't have it both ways. Either you toughen your spine to bear heavy load and you can't have a lot of spine flexibility, or you develop a lot of spine flexibility, do yoga, do gymnastics under body weight and all these kinds of things, but don't get under heavy external loads. So, uh, Again, going back to that office worker, now because of the way they softened their collagen through their choice of repeated exercises, then they went under heavy load. Now they've created um, softness in the disc that bulges into the, the, the nerve fibers on the outside of the disc and they experience pain when they sit. So that's one example. Another example 
might be someone who is just so damn done fit that to sit upright, they load their extensor muscles and they get a back muscle cramp because they don't have muscle endurance. So there might be a case, you know, it's not necessarily the sitting, they are lacking muscle endurance. So let's get on the, the wagon there and address that and, and build it. And the way I might start that is with bird dogs and, and some of those simple exercises and, and build a progression from there. But if you can just observe this, Aaron, here's, here's yet another example. Let's take the typical patient who comes into the clinic with mid-back pain, so thoracolumbar junction pain. Have them slouch into that posture and work at the computer and now say sit upright. If you can observe me, I'm now sitting upright. Do you see the strategy that I used was to lift my rib cage? In other words, all the bending stress was on my mid-back. Well, those type of patients tend to have central pain, both muscular and discogenic, right here in the middle of their back. It's not a, a mystery as to why they have it. And then if you were to say, now I want you to sit up by flexing your hips, watch my whole pelvis aligns for free. So there is uh, yet a third example where when you understand the mechanism of their pain, you can then uh, give them uh, strategies to reduce the chronic loading associated with sitting. With that particular person, I'd suggest uh, using a lumbar support, drive the pelvis as long as their, their, their hips were anatomically suitable. Now, as I said that, I, it just reminded me of a patient I had on Monday. The shape of their hip sockets, when we did a hip exam, the hip only flexed to about 90 degrees or less when their knees were together and that's how they sat so they were forced into a sitting spine flexion but when we spread their knees apart and we determined this from the hip exam where all of a sudden now they were able to achieve much more hip flexion about 120 degrees do you see how sitting with the legs wide apart now allow them to open up their hips and take that that painful stress pattern out of their back and, and the final piece to all of this, I would say, is now with my consults, when I'm uh, consulting for, you know, a high-end uh, athletic team, say it's basketball or football or, or hockey, um, sometimes the athletes, athletes sit in a way that steals their, their training capacity and on-field performance. But once again, it depends, depends on what their pain trigger is or whatever their training deficits are. Are. And uh, if we assess those, uh, we can then come up with a strategy to to mitigate that. But there's a few thoughts. I mean, you asked a huge question. Yeah. And uh, but but there are let's see one two three four. There's five different case scenarios that I gave you, and they all required a bit of thought yeah. and 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 and, a, and a, a guidance to converging on on what's best for that person. So you know, there's no single answer to any of stuff yeah our uh, mutual mutual friend kelly stark calls it mansplaying so allowing the legs to to come open there which did you happen to look at the, the pubmed article thing that i sent you before the talk it's okay. no no i'm sorry no I'm worries no problem at all yeah but so in in that what it was getting into is when the hips go into abduction or kind of like splaying open and then external rotation or the knees point out much like sitting cross-legged or like a lotus position in yoga um it helps with activating the glutes, helps with activating multifidus, erector spinae, uh, before the hamstring. So that's what I'm curious your perspective on this stuff. If they say that if the hamstrings fire primarily first before the glutes and, and walking and gait pattern, um, then that's often correlated with back pain. And something that helps with reversing that trend is splaying the hips out, kind of like you're describing right now. Does that make sense or is that... Hmm. I measure these things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, tell me. That's why I'm asking you. I'm not yeah, telling you, I'm asking you. I, uh, okay, well, first of all, I, I cannot give you opinion on the sitting and the lotus posture. Okay. Um, but having said that, when a person walks, uh, just consider the right leg going through leg swing, and just before heel strike, uh, the average person turns on their hamstrings first as a braking action 
to get the heel to take away its horizontal uh, velocity to zero for, for heel strike. And then the, uh, the, the glutes may fire to use a very poor word. But you know what? People really don't use their gluteal muscles very much in a normal walking gait. Um, it, it's much more of a leg exercise and a core muscle size because you just put your fingers on your two obliques and then stand on one leg. What's the what's what's the primary driver to that? It will be the lateral obliques, quadratus lumborum, and one half of the erector spinae. So do you see to walk you have to have core involvement. Um, now that's much more correlated with, in my understanding, with back pain than the hamstring uh, gluteal uh, pattern. And that very much, once again, is a, uh, uh, one of those, it depends, it depends on the stride length, for example, all kinds of things. So, uh, you know, but if you run, obviously you're going to need more glutes. If you go uphill, you need more glutes. If you really want to walk with glutes, get on an elliptical trainer. That's heavy gluteal centric work. Right. But I, I, I don't know if, if I, I'd have to see the data on the ability or discriminatory ability of that hamstring gluteal story on how closely it's linked to back pain. Yeah, well, the, the gluteal story, from my understanding with it, is you know, so that the, the glute max runs perpendicular with the sacrum. When it contracts, it compresses that and stabilizes that lumbosacral relationship, you know, and that's what, like what you're saying with stabilizing that axial skeleton, stabilizing the midline, that would be something that would prevent pain right my own is this no no i i don't agree i've heard me, this uh I've, I've been wanting to see more data on it i think it's very theoretical now having said that if there is sacroiliac laxity or laxity in the pelvic ring i will go along with that kind of uh instructional intervention however just to allow leg swing it, it's much more of a core kind of uh, uh, requirement. I'm going to give you an example. Uh, have you ever run into a child in the neurology ward at the children's hospital who has a paralyzed quadratus lumborum? I haven't personally, no. Okay, well, they, they walk like this. If, if I had a paralyzed QL, they could have leg stance on the right leg and then swing their left, no problem. But when they stood on the left leg and had right leg stance, their right hip would just fall and collapse because they didn't have a lateral lift of the pelvic platform. So this is far more influential on whether a person has a competent gait pattern than whether or not they turn their gluteal muscles on to create that form and force closure uh, posteriorly. Again, it's, those are nice terms. I've heard the theory, but uh, if I was to put it in terms of relative importance, uh, I think hip abduction uh, control and torque development on the stance leg goes together with the uh, lateral torso musculature, the obliques, quadratus lumborum, etc. on the swing leg side. That's what really determines gait competency. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think the gluteals really are important there in relative importance until the person starts to move very quickly, run or foot plant and change direction. Then of course you'll need the external rotation from the glutes. Yeah. But in terms of back pain, uh, it matters for squatting, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about walking. Yeah. One of the things I've heard you, you disgruntled about is the, um, in powerlifting where we're just unracking and, and pushing straight up as opposed to having to take that step back. Is that kind of a part of what you're getting into now? Like we're, we're, we're building up the engine potentially without, you know, it's like building a, building a, a cannon on a canoe kind of thing. We're just from one point <laughs> we're strong, but we don't have that gate pattern, which that's when all the pieces get tied together. Right. 
Well, I, <laughs> what goes through my mind when you ask, ask or pose the question that way, I, I have a political uh, <laughs> thought going through my mind um, and a, a, a bit of culture and then a little bit of science. But the politics of the, is, is this. There is, uh, it seems, uh, a bit of uh, dissonance between the lifters and the lifting federations who pick the bar up either a, off, off a, a squat rack and then they must step out of the cage and perform the squat. So the traditionalists say this is the true powerlifting uh, uh, strength. But think of what it requires. It requires, first of all, that they can't squat as much weight because what limits it is the stepping out of the rack, the standing on one leg. So you need tremendous frontal plane strength and stability, huge quadratus obliques, uh, uh, hip abductors, etc. And then there are the other powerlifting federations that lift in a monolift. So they just uh, rack the bar and then the squat, the, the, what holds the bar is then taken out of the way. So they never take a step and they can squat. So it's a pure sagittal plane movement competency that's required. Um, they can squat a lot more. Uh, so that's that's sort of the political uh, background uh, to it all. But then I would say, you know, are, are your listeners interested in competitive powerlifting and, and the difference between federations and the athleticism, or are they simply wanting to train? And if they want to train and become what might be termed as farm boy strong, uh, employ more of the strongman technique where you walk with 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 loads and that will develop this walking, running strength that I'm talking about. And if you're preparing to play football or rugby, uh, which is a speed power sport, you might be wanting to think about some of the heavy pushes and pulls and carries and sled drags and, and uh, uh, implement work that the uh, strong men do. But uh, I, I don't know if I'm answering your question, Aaron, but there's a little bit of a thought on... Uh, uh, the step out anyway. Yeah, yeah. Last time we spoke, we, you, you mentioned like the back out and, and creating a support so you're able to get leverage. And I use the tetherball analogy with that, where it's like the post needs to be good and strong, and then you can smack the tetherball. That's like your appendages. You, know, you get into farm carries and asymmetrical carries and such. Can we can we talk a little bit about just the, the effect that has on our midsection to be able to, to support our appendages? Oh, let's do that. Okay. <laughs> that would be a, a nice discussion. Um, you know, uh, I uh, had a patient and uh, I sent them to another clinician because the patient lived too far away. And then that patient failed and they came to see me. And then when I saw what the clinician had given them, because it made their back pain worse, I, I, I was uh, very, very disappointed. So uh, if we, you want to, I'll, I'll just, can I take off on that for just take a second? Take off, absolutely, please fly. Okay, so um, you and your listeners realize that, let's take a plank as an example of an exercise. So you have a plank and the person is supported at either end, either on the elbows and shoulders at one end and their feet on the ground at the other end, both pushing up. And then their center of gravity in the middle is pushing down. So that is a three point bend, right, on the body. And the exercise is to fight and, and, and neutralize that three point bend. So that's in planks, uh, uh, inverted row exercises, etc. So the body is supported at two ends with the forces going in the same way. There's no shear force on that uh, uh, torso. Now, um, this person uh, who, who coached my patient then said, okay, we're now going to uh, stand up and progress to a pal-off press. So you hold the cable out in front of you and the cable tension is zooming off to the side. But now it's no longer a three-point bend because the floor was pushing their feet to the right. The cable is pulling the, the 
their upper body to the left, that creates a shear force down their spine. And then I tested their spine in shear. You know, you put your shoulder on their shoulder and you grab the opposite hip and you shear their spine across and it made them sick. They said, oh, that's my pain trigger. And I said, but didn't the clinician test what your pain triggers are and why on earth would they move you philosophically from a three-point bend, which was very tolerable, to a open chain cantilevered load. So, you know, I can't send patients to that clinician anymore. It was such a simple violation, but they look up on the chart as to what is the next uh, part of the progression. So that person instead, I said, you know, you're strong. You just can't take lateral shear loads on your spine. That triggers you right now. So let's progress to a suitcase carry. So now the load is straight down. The load is, is coming uh, from upwards through their feet. The distance between their spine and the suitcase is only 20 or 30 centimeters. We've engineered out the shear. Now they can train heavy. So do you see how, how well, it was a misdemeanor? committed by the clinician to give them a pell-off press. So, you know, I, I, I see this regularly. And so, so there's there's taking off on your question, but if you want to bring me back on track, we can get to that idea. That ball idea that we were talking about earlier and slamming it around, you see that does cause a shear load on the spine. So if shear triggers that person's pain, then uh, you better not do that. The other question I have in relation to, and so as I mentioned previously, I am uh, in my garden recording this right now, and someone is running a weed whacker. I apologize. <laughs> I'm using mute in between um, in case you hear that. But a tool that I think a lot of people are missing is um, breath. You know, and utilizing the breath in order to stabilize and just proper sequencing with really leveraging our breath as a tool. Is that something that you, I, I know it has to be, something that you're utilizing with, with patients? Of course it is. has to be. Yeah. Can we get into a little bit of like how people can actually start really, really using their breath correctly? Well, now you're going to get me going on another rant. <laughs> um... Well, let, let me start this way. Sometimes I see, you know, coaches with uh, training corrective breathing with no load. And, and I don't know if that transfers onto the football field or the soccer pitch or wherever uh, they need to, or whether they might have an occupation where they need to get under heavy physiological load and breathe. But having done that, we just completed a study with a professional baseball organization, major leagues, and we were trying to predict over the season which players would get back injury based on the way that they move, their basic movement ability based on joint mobility, and uh, things like breathing patterns. Well, when going into this, it was my partner and colleague who, who wanted that, and I thought, oh, this is a waste of time. But we were able to predict four back injuries perfectly and over 70 players who did not get a back injury, which is just as important. Can you predict those who don't get injured and those who do? And we did it with 100% accuracy. Well, it may surprise you that the variables were markers of core control, hip mobility, and breathing mechanics. So here it was, I was wrong. I, I dismissed the importance of low level, unchallenged breathing mechanics. So I can say that, um, at least as you know, I, I try and go from our evidence foundation or I'll keep my mouth shut. So there's uh, a little from that perspective, I was wrong on that. But when we're training breathing in athletes who come, obviously they come to me with back issues, um, we might put them into a side plank, for example, and then breathe heavily. So you can imagine in order to hold the side bridge, they have to dedicate basically their breathing muscles to supporting their spine. So the obliques, the intercostals have to isometrically contract down to hold the bridge. But then when they're breathing heavily, <laughs> 
the diaphragm learns to pump very athletically inside that braced core. So now they can go uh, into the NBA, uh, box out opponents, and uh, still breathe heavily uh, uh, using the diaphragm, etc. So it certainly isn't uh, a belly breathing pattern. Um, uh, it's, it's very different on the uh, field of play. Uh, then we'll get an athlete like a heavy uh, lifter. Let's take a power lifter who shouldn't breathe because if they do let air out of their lungs, uh, their spines will collapse. So they sip the air. You know, they might uh, do the first move and then they'll sip like this. If you can imagine what I'm, I'm trying to show there. So that is their optimal breathing pattern. Um, a sprinter is another air sipper, for example, who many sprinters don't breathe at all for the 100 meters and others might have a little sip of the air at, uh, say, 60 meters and another one at 80 meters. But they certainly can't take a breath because they would lose the, the proximal stiffness that they need to drive their, their thighs on the other side of the hip joint. But anyway, is, is that a bit of a, a, an essay on what I know from evidence as far as breathing goes yeah no that's amazing so so i've been tinkering with just awareness of breath even every time for example i like get up off of a chair or pretty much any time i want to brace for any little thing and we think of bracing being like i'm gonna do a big olympic lift that's bracing you know but bracing is we're using that subtly 100 percent of the day 90 percent of the day you know is that something that you're teaching well people? if, if well, let me put it this way. You can't stand without a muscular stiffness. You will fall down. So your knees, your hips, your spine, you know your spine, if we take it out of you and sit it upright on an operating table or something, it collapses with 20 pounds. It can't even support your upper body and, and head. So there is always, you know, people say, oh, you had a delayed onset to a muscle. But folks, you better measure that because those muscles are always slightly active to give background stiffness. But, uh, so uh, I'm so glad you brought this up because there's a terrible misinterpretation of this. A brace simply could be a two or three percent background contraction to allow you to sit upright in a chair without giving it any thought. Because if you didn't have a mild tone there, you would crumple and, and collapse. Um, but now let's get right to the science of it. As a muscle activates, it does two things. It creates force and it creates stiffness. But as you activate a muscle and create more, uh, more activation, you get more force. It's not linear, but it's pretty close. But stiffness which gives the, 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 it's how your body regulates movement and it, it's what you're really modulating with the brace. Stiffness asymptotes out at about 30% of, of maximum neural drive to the muscle. So those people who say, oh, your McGill is, is asking people to, to maximally effort brace. I've never said that. Right. If you, if they took the time to understand the science, you get just about maximal stiffness with about 30% of activation to a muscle. So it would be very stupid to go to 100% unless you were, you know, a very special case like a lifter, for example, who has a great big belly and then when they squat down, they actually place the belly on their thighs and it gives them the pneumatic jack and an assist to get out of the hole, for example. So there are those kinds of uh, lifters that we uh, know of. But no, I'm so glad you brought that up. A brace is a tuned stiffness commensurate with the demand of the task. Yeah. Yeah. And then so um, Thomas Hanna is an interesting read. If anybody's have interest in reading more about um, he, he, a term that he coined, I believe called, it was called sensory motor amnesia, where essentially our, our nervous system, our musculature forgets how to function because we haven't used it for X amount of time. So you get like gluteal amnesia is a famous term. You know, and I think that I see that a lot with with clients or people in general, myself, even with our, our backs, you know, like mid trap, low trap, posterior just rhomboids, all that stuff. I see oftentimes we don't really know how to speak to that. Is that something that you see or is that, is, does that sound incorrect? 
Well, you might have a sneaky suspicion where the term gluteal amnesia came from. Um, we've measured it, and uh, yes. Is that you? Uh, I think, yes. <laughs> oh! <laughs> and uh, we were, uh, I think, well, the, the, the scientific term is neurogenic inhibition. So you may have heard that knee pain tends to inhibit the VMO. Um, well, that was actually confirmed. But I don't know of any other confirmation in the body. So we did an experiment where um, we worked with an interventional radiologist and they were blowing up the hip socket joint uh, and capsule in what was called a therapeutic arthrogram, just to stretch it all out a little bit. Well, it hurts like hell. And as they were doing that, we measured the inhibition to the gluteals being hip pain and back pain inhibits the gluteals. So if you have hip pain and back pain for long enough, your brain forgets to use them. So we proved that. And that's where that term, it was a lay term that I came up with called, it was just simply gluteal amnesia, but that's really what it was. So Yonda came up with the term cross pelvis syndrome, which was gluteal amnesia plus a facilitated psoas muscle. So that was the cross. But not everybody gets the facilitated psoas. Some do. But the gluteal amnesia tended to be a bit more common. Um, anyway, do and, and what's the problem with that? Well, uh, the problem with it is when you squat and you are hamstring dominant in your strategy to extend the hips, that pushes the femoral head more anteriorly gliding it forward in the joint and you're more susceptible to a femoral acetabular impingement. And that comes from the work of um, oh, Shirley Sarman's student. Her name will come to me in just a moment. Um, Kara, Kara Lewis. That, that comes from her PhD. And um, But when you teach the brain to give the, the normal priority to the gluteal muscles in, in hip extension, they pull the femoral head posteriorly, gliding it back in the joint because of their line of action, taking the load off the uh, anterior labrum of the hip. So, you know, Pavel, Pavel Sotsalin, who I, I suspect, you know, the, the great uh, Russian kettlebell master. We're neighbors. Uh, okay, so if you live on Nielsen Way, I've been to Pavel's house many times. Yeah. Oh, well, he's right across from Venice uh, uh, Gold's Gym, for sure. But anyway, uh, so Pavel talks about, you know, Dan John's goblet squat and, and, and wandering your hips back and forth, right and left, and you try and spread the, the, uh, the hip sockets open. Well, that's a coaching cue. You don't actually actually spread the, the hip sockets open, but it's a nice coaching cue. But what you are doing is activating more gluteals, which truly is pulling the uh, femoral head posteriorly uh, out of uh, anterior impingement. Not in everybody, of course, but if you have that kind of architecture. So it, it, that's, that's a little bit of an essay on uh, gluteal amnesia, but it's truly neurogenic inhibition due to pain, and it certainly can be retrained in a, in a person's uh, motor pattern. That's called the engram, by the way. So you can reestablish a new engram to displace the corrupted engram, gram corrupted by chronic pain. Yeah, and so that's the interesting point, I think, is that you know we're, we're constantly kind of like digging these ditches, you know, and you could say it like we're myelinating our nervous pathways or whatever language you want to put on it, but we're continually forming our movement patterns, our thinking patterns, the way that we respond to stimulus in our world. But what we don't realize is that we have these filters based off of our past experiences. And the big question for me, I guess, is how do we start to get in and start changing that, that, do you call it the Enneagram? How to, uh, no, well, it's called an N-gram, E-N-G-R-A-M. Yeah, that's, that's the name of the tape that's encoded in your cortex or in your spinal cord that when, when you trigger it, it creates a movement like walking or reaching or whatever it is. Yeah, so being a good coach or a therapist or whatever it is is being able to speak effectively to that, that N-gram. Is, is there anything that you've 
Go on. <laughs> you got something to say? Oh, now you, oh, you're, I didn't think of this uh, before, but I think we've done the first study now on proving the value of good coaching and how important a good coach is in reestablishing that new engram. So here's the evidence. Um, we worked with the Pensacola Fire Department and uh, we had 75 men in the study. Uh, uh, all of them completed the study. 25 were in a control group. 25 did training and you know the kind of training I'm talking about. It was just exercise for reps, uh, not really worrying about form, just squeezing out more reps and, and that's you know, the style of training that I'm talking about. The third group worked with uh, the Exos coaches, you know, the former athletes performance coaches. Now the company's called Exos. It's Mark Verstegen's group. Um, anyway, uh, this was done at the Andrews uh, Institute in Pensacola. Uh, so first, before the study started, we measured the competency performing fire ground tasks. So they chopped holes in, in, in the roof of a burning building. They breached doors. They advanced loaded fire hoses, which is a heavy push, you know, as it sprays out the water. There's a great reaction there. Uh, carrying ladders, piking open an elevator door, real firefighter tasks. So we measured the joint loads and their movement competency. <laughs> then they went away and trained for six weeks. So remember now, the third group got good coaching and they were reminded of what the injury mechanisms are. So when you deep squat, take care of the butt wink. When you uh, do a lunge, take care of the frontal knee plane motion and don't buckle the knee into valgus. You know, these kinds of basic uh, injury markers that we uh, know have been uh, linked to elevated injury rates. Then after the six weeks were over, we remeasured all of the firefighters doing fire ground tasks. There was really no change in the control group, which is what we should have expected. The group that just did exercise for reps and got strong and fit moved more poorly on the fire ground after the study. We gave them more horsepower in their bodies with poor engrams. The group who practiced mindful training, the coaches showed them injury mechanisms, they coached them, but they never once did a fire ground task. It all transferred out onto the fire ground and they moved with less uh, injury mechanisms and loads at the injury marker variable. So that's the first study that I know of that shows good coaching matters. Good coaching can reestablish uh, engrams and it does build a more resilient occupational athlete uh, afterwards. So uh, there you go. I can give you the reference. The first author is Dave Frost. Yeah. Yeah, I see that a lot. So I'm more intrigued by like gymnastic world and acro yoga and dance and martial arts and, you know, more movement, you know, dynamic movement worlds. And something you see with that untrained eye would see a big muscular person and think they must be phenomenal at anything, you know. But then someone like me or someone like you would probably look at that person and say their movement's probably chunky. You know, I, I see oftentimes those big muscles are kind of like a compensation for having to work harder because they haven't found that midline. They haven't found that, that balance or equipoise or connection. Is that, is that something? That well, very much so. Yeah. I, was, uh, at, I was at the NFL Combine last week in Indianapolis, and that, that, that comes home in spades. The guys who look like the fantastic athletes uh, quite are not. And I can also use the evidence that a lot of people will, will know. Uh, you know, we, we, we've worked with a number of uh, fighters, MMA fighters, who, who compete in the top leagues like the UFC and whatnot. You be careful who you pick a fight with because the 
the ones who can who are so confident with their movement may not look like the best athlete. Yeah. Um, I'll give you an example there. The guys with the big muscles and look really impressive, they tend to push their punches. So they use more muscle, which adds more stiffness. But then you take guys who are much more willowy looking, more, more raw boned, and they can just unleash, they relax, and then they just strike with blinding speed. Those are the ones, and I'm the guy measuring the, 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 the strike force. Those are the ones with the devastating punches. So be careful based on appearance who you think the real good mover and uh, athlete is. It's, it's quite often not the ones who uh, you would think by just straight appearance. But you and I know that because we work in that world. Yeah, yeah. It's it's literally the exact same thing that you see, like compensation when someone's driving a big truck. You know, it's like, oh, they're insecure about you know whatever it is. You know, with the physical body that happens, but it's subconscious. It's because you're not doing the thing correctly, so your body needs to supercharge in order for you to muscle through it, and then you have these big jacked muscles, and then our society applauds it, and so it's it's confusing. You know, so. Anyways, um, I didn't hear any of that because I drive a big truck. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I'm not saying so. It depends on the tra- it depends on, on the circumstance. Do you use the truck? Maybe you just value trucks. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that as a, as a metaphor in general. But the same thing happens. on. And, Look, you're uh, down there standing in your garden in your bare feet. <laughs> Brother, it is minus 22 outside up here. <laughs> I use my truck. Yeah, no, I I, I respect your truck. <laughs> um, so we're we're getting we're getting low on time. Is there the, the one thing I, I would like to to ask? I, I guess would be. Uh, are there any subtle coaching cues with speaking to the engram that maybe you have discovered in your 30 odd years of practice working with people that maybe um, someone like me could pull from or someone listening that maybe they, they, they haven't been using in their space? And this relates to working with people in a conversation as well. It's not just working with a physical body for people that don't aren't practitioners, clinicians. Well, let, let me, I'm going to turn the question around for you because you interview different speakers and you deal with different patients. Do you treat them all the same? Absolutely not. Never. Oh, uh, absolutely. So that's your answer. Um, there are some people in terms of coaching cues who all you have to do is tell them what you want and they do it. So I can think of some martial arts athletes who uh, can uh, right away just do what I ask them to do. And then uh, there are others who, uh, you know, you have to get into uh, external cues and say, look, I want you to reach that uh, uh, marker over there and uh, just do what you need to do to get over there. And then there are others who I, I have to teach them. They're, they're, they're very yoga-like. They pay attention to their joints. They feel stress. And I will have them. Look, stick your thumb on your ASIS and put your fingers on your gluteal medius. And now do you feel that muscle when you do the clamshell exercise? So these are all, I just get, and then I might use an auditory um, cue. You know, you, you, you size up how that patient or athlete learns and how they respond. I'll say one more thing. Here, personality matters. Have you ever met a really sparky, explosive athlete who has a long attention span? <clears throat> They're all attention deficit. It's it's that's the character of the neurology. You get a sparky athlete and bang, 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 their brain is going as fast as they are able to fire their muscles. So you might have 20 seconds to get your message across to that athlete. After that, they tune you out and they're gone. So, you know, personality matters. All of these different things matter in terms of uh, cueing. And, and uh, you know, people say, well, when I see a back patient, I see them for three hours. The, you know, one of the first things I'm trying to do is measure in my own brain, how does this person learn? How do they respond? What trick am I going to have to pull out of my clinical toolbox to get them to do what I want them to do? Do I tell them? Do I trick them with a clandestine movement? Do I push them somewhere and get them to, to, to push against me? Do I uh, brush a muscle? Do I uh, get them to uh, explode? Uh, you know again 
As, as I, I think you have found out, it's uh, the great clinicians are hyper aware and clever in assessing that individual and adapt their uh, coaching, cueing to, to the person. It's never all of one or all of the other. Awesome. Thanks so much, man. I um, like I've already already blown smoke up your ass previously, but your work has been paramount in the development of the work that I do. So I really really appreciate it. Um, how do people find more about your work and you and all all the things? Well, thanks for that, Aaron. Um, as you know, our website is www.backfitpro.com, just as it sounds. B A C. K F I T P R O, and my uh, books uh, are on there together with uh, articles and, and videos and things like that. But the book that uh, is is uh, my major thrust these days is called Back Mechanic, and it's I wrote it for the lay public who are needlessly suffering, and you know they're being told by people, oh, the pain is in your head. Uh, they never get a thorough assessment. Uh, it's not possible in a 10-minute, uh, you know, doctor's exam. So I take the person through a self-assessment of their pain triggers and then uh, show them quite precisely what they should stop doing and what they should do. You know, there's this idea that, oh, doing back exercise is going to cure your back pain. Well, if you have back pain, doing more exercise probably isn't going to help. So the first order of business there is, uh, is to recognize the pain triggers and then stop triggering them and, and and you get a neural desensitization. Let the whole system wind down. Then strategically choose exercises based on their pain triggers and, and training goals. So it, it's a rather unique uh, book um, for those reasons. But uh, there you go. Awesome. And people, I'd highly recommend checking out the other conversations, episode 60-something, I think, and we get all into everything that the doctor just spoke about, neural desensitization desensitization and such so thank you so much appreciate it um look forward to if you, did you ever make it out to la i know you make it to pavel's house well i i do i have quite a number of uh your la people who <laughs> want to see me so sometimes i just go and do a road trip and we, we have a bit of fun with them but uh, anyway thanks for all you do Aaron. i appreciate it very much yeah. thanks if you ever make it out to this this area or oregon i'm gonna be up there there in the summer i'd be happy to offer you a session and show you what the heck wacky weird manual therapy stuff i do i, I think you might might appreciate it. Maybe not. You might. Well, I, 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 no, no. Well, I don't know. I might. But, you, might. Uh, I, I, you, know, you know, can I say thirty seconds on that topic? Yeah, of course. If if you said that to me thirty years ago, I'd say, oh, I'll, I'll you know, I'll pass. Right. But you, the, the 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 right manual therapist is a magician, and they make me look good. So sometimes I. I can go as far as I can, but there's a little nag or a snag that I do not have the clinical uh, skills to address. So I send them to my soft tissue gurus that I have around the world oh. and two or three sessions finishes off my job and makes me look like a star. Cool. Um, but it very much, uh, I, I need you guys uh, very strategically. So awesome. thank you. Thanks so much, man. All right. Well, uh, we're over now. Align Podcast. Thank you once again for uh, for Sigmatic for supporting this podcast and for bringing such a radical product to the world. Uh, I utilize the cordyceps and lion's mane before any workout movement session that I do. Uh, chaga mushrooms every morning as I'm traveling. I always bring along some type of mushroom bl blend for immune support and just overall vitality. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you. Tim Ferriss has been loving that. Sean Stevenson, I believe, from the Model Health Show as well has been getting down on those. Um, so they are spreading like wildfire and I highly recommend you checking them out. Um, jump on to foursigmatic.com slash align for 10% off of your purchase. I can't re recommend it more. Uh, foursigmatic.com slash align. F-O-U R S I G M A T I C dot com slash align, and you will get 10% off of any purchase from Four Sigmatic. Thank you once again so much for tuning into this podcast. 
podcast. If you guys want to show some support, show some love for what we're doing here, um, you can jump on the website, aligntherapy.com, A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. And then from there, uh, a couple things you can do, one of which you could actually donate through Patreon. There's a link on the right-hand sidebar of the blog and podcast page. Uh, You can utilize the Amazon affiliate link. Uh, Anytime you or anybody you know buys some crap on Amazon, please and thank you. Bookmark that link. Every time you do it, we get something like 7% of your purchase and it helps support this show. It is awesome. So great. As well, something you could do that is ultra helpful. If you or anybody that you know has ears and likes books, uh, tell them to check out the audibletrial.com slash align. That's A-U-D-I-B-L-E trial.com slash align. And then from there, that is uh, you get a free audio book from Audible. They have something like, I don't know, a bajillion different titles to choose from. Uh, one that I would recommend that I got from them was Shantaram. I, it's a huge book and uh, again, all free no matter what size the book you get. And that got me through, I listened to that as I was traveling through Morocco and uh, just really, really amazing website, uh, amazing service. Couldn't recommend it more and uh, it kicks us down some scratchola every time you guys utilize that free thing costs you absolutely nothing and you get a free audiobook and you support the show boom um thanks so much for reviews on itunes that's greatly appreciated and thanks just in general for listening thanks for supporting thanks for for spreading the word all right i can't express enough how much i appreciate all that if you guys ever have any questions or comments you feel free to email me directly at aaron at aligntherapy.com and i would love to talk all right see you guys Thank you for listening and remember to join the movement by subscribing to the podcast. If the information has been helpful, please share and leave your comments in iTunes. Aaron personally reads each one and it makes all the work worthwhile. Together, we will make a difference and continue to bring more powerful and inspiring messages to the world. Align Podcast.